When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Novel. Before we begin, this series features remarkable stories told by remarkable people. Some of the events they discuss and some of the words they use to describe their experiences can be, how shall I say this, quite colourful. This programme contains strong language and descriptions of an adult nature. And this episode contains reference to childhood abuse and gender dysphoria, which some listeners might find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. My first chosen legal name was Nicholas Christopher Ghosh, but I used uh, Rupert Raj as a pseudonym. I kind of lived a double life up until 1999 when I applied to the AIDS Committee of Toronto and I put on my resume that I was a trans man. But prior to that, I was not out at school or at work. So I would be on TV shows and radio shows and I used a pseudonym. This is Rupert Raj. Today, his pseudonym has become the name he uses every day. He no longer feels he needs to hide his identity as a trans, pansexual man. Rupert's a 70-year-old Canadian activist and retired therapist. He has an almost encyclopedic knowledge of trans campaigners and activism in Canada and beyond. Rupert has spent his adult life painstakingly forging life-saving links within and between trans communities in Canada and around the world. And he takes the chronicling of these communities very seriously. Sometimes you build it and they will come. And Rupert's work is a testament to that. From the team at Novel, this is Call Me Mother, a collection of conversations with queer trailblazers. I'm Sean Fay. In each episode, I'm talking to a different queer pioneer whose story teases out a nuance of our shared LGBTQ plus history. And by telling these stories, we'll show the richness and wisdom of our queer community through the ages. And in each tale from the past, we'll find strength for the present day. In this episode, Forging Community with Rupert Raj. I was allowed to be a tomboy at home and wear kind of tomboyish clothes some of the time. So I played with boys and girls my age, doctor, nurse, cowboys and Indians, all that stuff. And I usually took the male role. I identified with Robin Hood and with Mighty Mouse and all that kind of stuff. Rupert was assigned female at birth. But pretty much from the get-go, he didn't feel this was right. He just didn't have the words to express his identity until he was a teenager. I came across that newspaper clipping in 1967 about Eva Koblowska, the intersex Polish sprinter, and then a year later, Eric Schenegger, the Austrian 
intersex downhill skier who later transitioned to male. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'm not the only one in the world like this, and maybe there's some hope for me, even though I didn't understand what intersex was. Rupert was brought up in Ottawa with a Polish mother and an Indian father who had emigrated to Canada in 1951. Their family was big, and as a child, Rupert's father was his role model. He was a professor of physics at Carleton University in Ottawa. He was brought up as a Hindu, but he was agnostic. I really liked my father, and I kind of identified with him, and I wanted to be like him when I grew up. Rupert's mother, on the other hand, he identified with less. I think my mother had what they call bipolar disorder now and called manic depression back then. And also, I think, maybe some narcissistic personality. So she used to physically abuse me and some of the siblings. So I kind of was afraid of her, then I hated her, and then eventually I became indifferent. Amongst this turbulent childhood, Rupert was still trying to understand his identity. I did talk to my father in 1968, I think it was around April. I said, I feel like I'm a bisexual, a boy on the inside, a girl on the outside, because I didn't know the word transsexual. And he said, oh, he just mentioned something about Oscar Wilde, and then he'd mentioned that he would maybe take me to a psychiatrist to show me that the life of a girl can be just as rewarding. And that's where the conversation ended. The response of Rupert's father is something many trans people experience when discussing their feelings with parents. Rupert didn't feel any closer to getting help understanding himself. And then, in the summer of 1968, his world was upended. We were taking our summer holidays from Ottawa to a little town not too far away in a rented cottage. And my mother had to stay back because she was getting some medical tests. My oldest brother stayed back because he didn't want to go. So he was painting the house. So my father drove the other siblings, including me, ahead. And then he drove back to pick up my mother. And it was raining that day. The car had just been serviced. I believe it might have been the tires or the wheels. They hit the abutment of a bridge. There was a witness, a farmer in the field, who saw the car flip over. My father died instantly, apparently, and my mother was in a coma for four days. Aged just 16, Rupert had lost both of his parents. He was still grappling with his own identity, having only just worked up the courage to discuss it with his father. And then the rug was ripped from under him. Rupert and his siblings were given help by their parents' church. It was a lifeline in a rocky time. But discussions about Rupert's true gender were off the table. Catholic Children's Aid came in with parents to foster us for a year. I tried telling them, but they said it was just all in my head and that it was just a phase. Eventually, Rupert's legal guardian, a Catholic family friend, agreed to help him speak to a doctor. I uh, saw a psychiatrist at the Royal Ottawa Hospital. They did not have a gender clinic there, per se, but they did have 
people, I guess, that were talking about that issue to me. And I asked my psychiatrist if he could give me male hormones, testosterone, and he said no, because you had to be 21 in Canada and the U.S. at that time. And I was only 16 and then 17. And then I told him I wore my father's jacket and tie and shirt. And he said, oh, you're just going through a phase, a grieving phase, because your father had just died. And so he wouldn't give me male hormones. But of course, it wasn't a phase. Rupert's unhappiness spiraled. He dropped out of school. He was experiencing the fallout of gender dysphoria, which is a term used to describe the often overwhelming unease a person has when there's a mismatch between their gender identity and their sex assigned at birth. I can't concentrate on my schoolwork because the gender dysphoria is so bad. So then I said I wanted to go into the Royal Ottawa Hospital. So my legal guardian took me in and voluntarily signed me in and I was there for six weeks, but they still wouldn't give me hormones. And I was on the female side because it was segregated in those days. And you had to wear a skirt or a dress to the cafeteria, but I wore pants and luckily nobody gave me grief, which is a miracle. And they also didn't give me tranquilizers or shock therapy, which is another miracle because that was the standard practice for many of the patients back then. And then finally, at his lowest point, some hope. I got to see a psychotherapist or a clinical social worker who actually was a lifesaver for me. She did not judge me. She said, you don't look like a boy or a girl. And then she said, I've heard about this book called Transsexualism and Sex Reassignment by Dr. John Money and Dr. Richard Green that came out in 1969. And so it kind of validated me that there was other people like me. And I first came across the word transsexual. This was a turning point in Rupert's life. He finally felt like the world, or at least someone, was recognizing him for who he really was. With the legal sign-off of his older brother, he began his medical transition and a fresh chapter. That's coming up. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I didn't know any trans people initially, so I put an ad in the Ottawa Journal and the Ottawa Citizen newspaper saying I wanted to meet transsexual and transvestite people because in the, those days they called cross-dressers transvestites. Rupert's living in Ottawa, having finally obtained the much-needed medical support for his transition. But despite having his true self recognized, he still feels isolated. 
They would not let me run the ad in the personal section. They wanted me to put it in the sexual classifieds and sexual ads, and I didn't want to do that. So unfortunately, I couldn't contact people that way. Whilst he struggled to find a trans community in Ottawa, Rupert cast his search further afield and began to make early links with the Canadian trans activists he would go on to campaign alongside for decades. There was a group in Canada called the Association for Canadian Transsexuals, or ACT, A-C-T for short, which was started in 1970 by three trans women. I went to Toronto to meet them in the summer of 1972. Meeting the people in Toronto was quite exciting because, well, because I'd never been in Toronto before. It's a big city compared to Ottawa. Now it's six million, then it was about three million. And I met these people who started an organization. So that was very exciting. Having tentatively developed some support networks, Rupert continued with his transition, hoping to obtain more gender-affirming surgery. Now an adult, doctors didn't accuse him of going through a phase anymore. But what did threaten his treatment was Rupert's sexuality. I was afraid to come out as bisexual at that time because the psychiatrists did not allow trans people to be bisexual or gay or lesbian or pan in the 1970s and 80s and 90s. When I was young growing up, I was attracted to women, most of my school teachers, and also to some of the male school teachers. And I was attracted to some of my idols like Richard Green, who played Robin Hood, Dirk Bogard, the queer British actor, and Lawrence Harvey, another bisexual British actor. I wanted to be them, and I was also attracted to them. My first partner was a trans man, and when we were both going to the gender clinic so I could get more surgery and so he could start, they asked me about us, and I lied to them and said, yes, we used to be lovers, but now we're not. Because I knew if I had told them the truth, they probably wouldn't have approved us for more gender-confirming surgery. So I had to lie. Having wrestled with his gender identity throughout his childhood and faced so many barriers to getting help and treatment, Rupert was determined to forge a career where he could improve this process for others. I really wanted to be a psychiatrist originally so I could help people like myself because back then there were both psychiatrists and psychologists, but the ones who really gave you the green light was the psychiatrist because it was a medical condition. So I enrolled in a pre-med program, but unfortunately, I failed chemistry and math and biology, so then I switched to a psychology program. And I unfortunately didn't get my honors. I got my bachelor's in uh, psychology. So when I applied to four graduate schools, they did not let me in because my grade point average was too low and they preferred you to have an honors BA, which I didn't. Rupert put his psychology ambitions on hold. But he was still committed to helping other trans people and creating a better start for future generations than he had experienced. So he turned his attention to grassroots organising. He gradually built up networks with other trans campaigners, like the women he met in Toronto, but he still felt it was difficult to meet up with campaigners who were trans men. The population of Canada is so much smaller than the USA, so we didn't have the critical mass. So I didn't really know any trans male activists. I did know some trans men, but no activists. So I was really kind of quite isolated. Rupert 
realized that in order to create a network of activist trans men, he needed to look further afield. And so he decided to set up an international magazine for trans men called Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis newsletter and Metamorphosis magazine came out bi-monthly for six years. There was 33 issues over six years, and it went to Canada, the US, the UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand mostly. So I got a lot of letters from trans men saying that I was a godsend for them and a lifesaver because a lot of them had no other trans men that they were in contact with. And I would provide resources for psychologists, psychiatrists, surgeons, doctors for hormones, lawyers, other trans people, and so on. Metamorphosis gave Rupert that sense of community he had been seeking out since before transitioning. But it also took a huge toll on his life. My first burnout, I think, was in 1988 when I gave up Metamorphosis, or MMRF for short, and I asked if anyone else would pick it up, but nobody else wanted to pick it up. So I burnt out. But then, somewhat masochistically, I started another group called Gender Worker, Gender Consultants, from actually 87 to 1990. And then I burnt out again in 1990 for nine years. Rupert continued in this cycle for much of his adult life. He saw the need for support networks for trans men, so he channeled all his energies into establishing and running them. Then, eventually, the emotional effort needed to keep things going, often single-handedly, overwhelmed him. Like many trans and queer campaigners, burnout was a common enemy, especially when outside of activism, his ambitions of becoming a counselor to support trans and non-binary people were still frustrated. Over the decades, Rupert kept trying to realize his ambition, studying for a master's in psychotherapy, but was overlooked for therapy roles and forced to take a series of low-paid jobs. Until in 2002, he landed a job at the Sherbourne Centre in Toronto as a therapist working with mostly trans and non-binary people. That was my dream job that I'd waited 30 years for because prior to that I was doing unpaid peer counselling or I got paid a couple of dollars here and there when I had my paid counselling service, but not enough to survive on. So it was thrilling. And a number of the managers and staff were cis-queer or trans or trans-queer or gender non-binary. Finally getting that job, how did that feel for you? It was very thrilling to support and validate the gender identity of these people. Sometimes the parents would come in. Uh, well, they would come in with the children that were under the age of 18. And so sometimes the parents would be supportive, but sometimes they would not. And then sometimes the parents threatened to sue the center because they thought that they were going to try to prescribe puberty blockers or something like that. There was one case where I had the father was supportive of the young child and the mother was not. And there was almost marital discord over that. A lot of the people who work with trans youth tend to be cis. Certainly, like, for a lot of listeners here in the UK, it's quite rare for trans people to be working with trans youth. How, for you, does counselling and working with young trans people and their families feel? Do you think it's particularly important that adult trans people get to occupy these roles? I think it's very, very important, and there's many, many trans people and gender non-binary folks in Canada, the U.S., and in 
the UK that are going into healthcare. And I think it's so fantastic that we can work in these fields, this field of mental health, and work with our people, the children, the parents. I did couple counseling, I did family counseling, I did individual counseling. And I used to do assessments for hormones and for surgery. I used to write letters for the clients to the uh, primary physician or the psychiatrist or the surgeon, as the case may be. So it's very gratifying. And I think they really felt a sense of trust, a mutual trust working with me. Rupert worked at the Sherborne Centre for 13 years, supporting hundreds of queer people and their families. He loved the job, but once again, burnout threatened to overwhelm him. So in 2015, he decided to retire. Even though I loved the work, it was very taxing. And I'm 70 now, so I'm enjoying my retirement that I don't have to get up at six in the morning and rush off to work <laughs> <laughs> or write all those clinical research papers and all those books and all those presentations. It's, a, you know, it's a labor of love, but it's very taxing on the mind and the body and the heart. So enjoying my retirement, traveling. We're in Europe now, we're in Southern Europe, meeting new people. And I still am in touch with some of my network through email and a little bit through Facebook in the U.S. and Canada, the U.K., and the Netherlands, some of my old uh, trans and cis uh, colleagues. Oh, and I write haiku, and I write tanka, which is a Japanese form of poetry, but I write it in English, of course. And I'm also writing a bit of a travelogue on my travels here in Southern Europe. Well, it sounds like you're filling your retirement time. What's the achievement you're proudest of in your life, and why? I guess just surviving and thriving between gender dysphoria and gender euphoria, between despair and hope, between cynicism and positive realism, burnout and self-care. So just surviving in that uh, tension. What advice would you give to younger queer and trans people? If they feel safe, I think they should talk to their parents or their family members. I think it's important that they don't keep it to themselves because there's been too many suicides and self-harm and drug addiction by young people who aren't being able to connect with supportive people and communities. The community's out there. There is help out there. And I think they should never give up hope. They should also, I think, uh, talk to other youth, but also talk to adults because not all adults are so down on youth. Some can be approachable. Call Me Mother is hosted by me, Sean Fay, with production from Pippa Smith. Rosie Collier, Sean Glynn, and Max O'Brien are executive producers. Research by Megan Oyinka. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolfe. Austin Mitchell is our creative director of production. Mike Lee Rao is our managing editor. Gavin Haynes is our head of development. Willard Foxton is our creative director of development. Sound design, mixing and scoring by Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Pippa Smith and Nicholas Alexander. Our theme music is composed by Eli Block. Special thanks to Lee Meyer, 
Oren Rosenbaum, Shelby Schenkman, and all the team at UTA. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.